Hello, and welcome to the green team of The Legendarium, the weird little spinoff where patrons of The Legendarium get together to discuss the books and topics the main crew haven't gotten around to yet. I'm Little Red Book, and today I have with me the overlord saving us from all the nasty threads, Kipton. Hello. And special guest, the general of the Rough Riders, Ryan of The Legendarium. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> At this ungodly early hour of the day, we are going to be discussing Anne McCaffrey's 1979 book, Dragon's Dawn, the ninth book in the Dragon Riders of Pern. So just to start off on a five-star scale, how would you rate this book? A solid three. Oh, good. I was afraid I was going to be coming in a little low because that's about where I would put it to. Yeah, about a three. Yeah, it's very enjoyable, but it's not groundbreaking or it didn't blow me away. You yeah. know, it was, it was a fun read. It's definitely enjoyable, but it gets more enjoyable. It takes you a while to get to the part where you enjoy, for me at least. It was, I was sitting here going, I'm, I feel like I'm reading like science notes on things up until we finally started to get to about where the, the thread started falling. And, and I'm like, oh, okay. Like if I wanted to, to do this, I'd just go play Animal Crossing or something for a few hours. But it did feel a bit like the early stages of uh, civilization beyond Earth at the start. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there are so many names. I, I So many names. Yes. <laughs> All like, look, I know that there's like a hundred or whatever. I don't know even how many colonizers, but that's not, there's only so many people you can keep track of. Yeah. You have 6,000 people on a ship. Please don't try to name them all. Oh, right. <laughs> there, there's only so many like second assistant veterinarians you can try and keep track of. <laughs> I have only ever read, I think, one other of the Pern books, and it was years and years ago, so I forgot everything anyway. I'm trying, I'm wondering if how much of this is supposed to be like setting up lineage lines of people going for like, oh yeah, so you know that this is the 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 grandmother or the grandfather of, of this character that you'll deal with later or things like that. Because I was like, this is a lot of people for me to, you know, to try and keep track of or to care about. And I already hate Ted Tupperman, so let's go ahead and move on past that anyway. You already hate Ted Tupperman from like his very first scene. Oh yeah. His his like first defining characteristic is a like a contemptuous scowl. <laughs> and I don't want any of you guys to think I hated this book because I actually really enjoyed it. But it's mm -hmm. just there's it has issues. That's okay. I, think, I think that's totally fair. And it's one of those things I would actually say that if you if you held this book up against other books written in its time frame, it wouldn't feel too off from the style and, and uh, things that were uh, things that were being written in the late seventies, early eighties time frame. Yep. So it, it fits there. It just, especially to a modern audience, I would not hand this one to someone as a first book for a pern. Be like, this is what's going to get you locked into Anne McCaffrey's writings. Uh, I, I I would not do that. Not because it's a bad book, simply because it's not going to catch a modern audience quite the same way as maybe one of the later books might have a little more uh, of a fantasy feel that will give them a better connecting point for what they're going to get into versus a little more of the logic and science behind how Pern came to be what it is. I actually, I think I've read other Pern books. Pretty sure I read the one that involves time travel because there's one that has time Th travel. There's not it. just one. <laughs> okay. Well, either way, I actually like this one better than... Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like this one definitely better than like the first three Pern books, for sure. Yeah, I and I've only read a couple other Pern books. I've read most of them. And until they started getting co-written, I've read them all. 
So let me ask you this as someone who does not remember or doesn't have the same connection to other Pern books. Uh, what are kind of the defining characteristics of a Pern book that we can see in this one or that we see set up here other than, let's just say, Dragon Riders? I mean, that's one of the pretty big ones. Uh, <laughs> but the empathic bond and okay. the yes. and the different colors of dragons Th okay. those yeah. are two those are two of the very big ones uh the other is the internal politics and the politics between dragon riders and other groups okay those are always very big yeah that becomes a really and the one that the other series like the other trilogy i read that was huge like the other people were super angry and didn't want to support the dragon riders anymore because they were so expensive Mm -hmm. Because they they yep. had had forgotten about the thread, and then the thread shows up again. Oh, that sounds uh, convenient. Yeah. <laughs> of course, though, and that's yeah. why there's time travel. I mean, it's <laughs> that is the very first uh, Dragon Riders of Pern book. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's the trilogy I've read. And what what else is essential? Oh, some sort of intense emotional bonded romantic relationship between a man and a woman. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I did the. So obviously, like like most of the things, I've listened through this on audiobook, and uh, I'm going to say the performance of the narrator uh, when when what's his first what is his name he becomes Telgar. It's uh, RV anyway. Yeah, he the, his whole speech about I am Telgar now, and like I was like, wow, wow, dude, that came <laughs> out of nowhere. <laughs> this is it. This is in passion. Like he gives his great loving. I'm going to say loving in quote air quotes here. We uh, are speech we're not to her. Spoilers. We're not in spoilers yet, but yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's an impassioned speech. When we get into spoilers, I'm gonna. He gives a, a great line in that. So to your point of establishing lineages down the road, Telgar is a big one. Yeah. 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 I kind of figured that would be the case. Yeah. Telgar is a big important name in the later series. It's the name of a place too. Oh. It is. Yeah. I, I do remember that. So normally we do books in publishing order, but we're not this time. So why are we starting with this book? This is a question from both Solution and Heron Fan. Because I didn't want to start with the first one, which has graphic rape of small children. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. Wow. About that. Thanks. That's <laughs> yeah. And McCaffrey has issues. <laughs> she she really loves her May December romances, and sometimes the May is like fourteen. Ooh, <laughs> Ooh that's. Uh, I, I appreciate the heads up on that. I feel like that should be like a book tag or something. It involves uh, questionable sexual encounters uh, with minors. But isn't yeah. that like super, super common just in the genre at that time? Yeah, I would say <laughs> I, to a certain she, extent it is. She does it more than most people. It stands out more so. It, it does. Again and again. <laughs> yep, again wow. and again and again. And like sometimes it will be lethal for the younger partner and whatever. Okay. <laughs> Jeez. I just like I said, I actually would start with this book. I it's the only book that I really like. The first third of it is a little dragging, but I like it tries to be sciencey. It's not super hard science, but I just it's more hard science than a lot. Well, then it's also more sciencey than the other ones. The other ones are actually fantasy. Sure, but like it's you have consideration of fuel consumption you have exactly uh matching of orbital trajectories you have pre-flight checklists in the shuttles you have genetic engineering a little too much of the pre-flight mm -hmm. uh, 
How did we yeah. land on this, starting with this book? Anyway, Ryan, do you remember? Uh, I, I think we were just going through and uh, we were talking about McCaffrey and we, uh, I think, kept throughout a couple of them and we were looking at Dragon's Dawn and a couple of them we said, this is this is the actual start of the of the time frame. And I think this actually, if you know the audience that you're going to recommend this to, or if you know... If you're as if you as a listener know that you're the sort of person who will read a whole series and will get invested in things, it's okay to start with this chronologically speaking because you're going to get through and get a full feel of Pern from this moment on. But if you're trying to test out whether or not you would like to be in this world, this isn't a good this isn't a good sample plate to to take it from. I to me, um, yeah. it might be one of the better ones, but I wouldn't. This is not the book I would hand to someone to say get a good feel for for Pern. But like I said, if you're gonna read the whole thing and you're gonna do that, yeah, by all means, start and follow the chronology. It'll be, it'll, it'll make it, you know, it'll be a slightly different story. Yeah, it's the sci-fi start to the Pern series as opposed to the fantasy start to the Pern series. <laughs> yeah. So, what did you like or dislike about the setup of the book and the three separate parts, the landing, the thread, and the crossing? And without spoilers, how do you feel about the arrangement of the book? There's too many names. But I, generally speaking, I, I, I honestly like really like this format for colonial starts because it does let you get some time skips in out of the way and you, you don't have to spend all of your time just scrounging around in the muck on the planet surface in this completely undeveloped world living in prefab units for the entire book, <laughs> which is a blessing. This this three er- breakup in this uh, is a really good setup for for this type of book. Most books have the standard Act 1, Act 2, Act 3 uh, thing through the arc, but this one legitimately actually says intermission right in between these moments. And that can be helpful. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, to a reader to know, like like Kip was saying, you know, it allows you the time jumps to to give a very clear sense to your audience that everything that you just heard is, is its own little piece. Be aware of it, but now we're moving on to the next thing is helpful. I would love stronger arcs inside of each of these mini ones uh, yes. because there's there's still there's kind of the arc of the whole crew you know colonizing of pern and, and figuring out how to survive type thing but inside of each of the individual ones there's not really and you know and when we get to spoilers again that that's this is one the does not have arc one does not have much of an arc yeah well that's, i mean that, they're just surviving we, we s- you set up a couple relationships, but there's no real like plot elements that have any sort of conclusion in arc one. Right. But you yeah. get the dragons for the or not sure. the, dragons, the dragonettes at the very end. Of you that get arc. a character introduction. <laughs> and you like have like a vague idea of whatever colors they have. And then we move on. Yeah. So I gotta say I enjoyed this book a lot more when I read it before I was gonna read it for reviewing it. <laughs> podcast has ruined my enjoyment of pulp fiction that is yeah. absolutely a, a a real hazard to doing stuff like this and constantly reviewing because you're you're it gets hard to turn that off and be like i'm just going to enjoy this or do it others it is absolutely <laughs> the reality but no i like the i like the structure of the book and i think that it does what it needs to do well for what it is but I agree with Ryan about the arc thing. <sighs> I've seen this structure done better. And also, I do feel like part one was rushed for what it tried to do, which was the entire approach of the planet and the initial colonization effort. That could have been a whole book. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really, I, I kind of feel like this should have been two books and not one book. 
but I think you you actually I think you're right that it it absolutely could have been and the way it was written I don't agree that it would have been a good book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the point right there. You need some serious adjustment if you're going to do that. In another author's hand, I've seen those that just that section of the plot line do so much better and take quite a bit longer because if you're going to be doing any sort of credible job of exploring a new planet before deciding your landing place you might give it more than an hour or two <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i'm so, trying to sit through and think about any uh, any examples of of similar developing from the beginning because usually we come in from a character's perspective into something that is still developing usually it would be like uh we like it would be like we follow sorka and when she lands on the planet she looks around and sees what has been established and we kind of explore through that that isn't the case here because we have too many other perspectives so we kind of get it from from the get-go i would be curious to see what this would look like if it was that we follow sorka down on there and we see that oh we've set up this and this is how you requisition things and kind of go from that that path that would have been lovely (laughs) yeah no i agree like having one or two characters that we were following closely would have been easier to deal with than there's too many. I mean, there's like, I don't know, at least 10. I don't think we needed Admiral Benden at all. (laughs) No, I don't think we needed his POV at all. (laughs) Like he can be in the story. Sure. But we don't need to be in his head ever. It is a major, major undertaking to try and write an entire civilization as your character POVs. And, you know, that's, I bet you bite off more than you can chew with this, quite frankly. And yeah, Admiral could go. Uh, there's probably a couple others that could have been done through the eyes of a sm- of a, a different character through a Sorka or a Sala or whatever. I don't think we needed Avril, honestly. Oh, that's, her. Don't even get that me was another her. one that, I, that through yeah. Sala you could easily have done, told her yep. story through Sala. Exactly. Exactly. Let her play Scooby Doo with uh, the clues that she's <laughs> dropping behind, and then is, is it maybe time to go into spoiler territory? It is. It's totally time. <laughs> okay. <It is. laughs> Spoilers, everyone. Um, oh, I'm going to do a, a quick recap that is not going to be Ken level. So sorry, Ryan. That's okay. I don't get a lot of those anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Colonists land on Perm, hoping to establish a new type of human order free from hierarchy. Eight years in. A rogue planet enters into close proximity of Pern's orbit, and strange organisms, the colonists named Thread, drop from the sky and devour organic material on contact. Tiny fire-breathing lizards, lizard-like creatures, adopted first by two precocious adolescents, fight the Thread, and the genetic scientists begin engineering the little dragonettes into dragons of Earth-like mythology. Political intrigue, romance, and fighting for life, and oh, all the names. So I really have, this is something I kind of wanted to ask Kip while I was reading this. Does it make, I don't feel like having thread dropped on your planet every 200 years is a, is going to have a planet that has complex life on it, which this planet really does. And I, I don't know. What do you think about that? I was very confused by the description of Threadfall, which was in these long corridors, which cover basically the entire planet. With the survey results, which were like, there are polka dots. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's... It, it, it was never described as a round phenomenon after that initial survey again. But, I mean, how does life even evolve on this planet if every 200 years, crap's getting dropped on it that eats everything? Well, if every 200 years it only removes, like, little circles, that's fine. 
who cares? But if every 200 years it completely devastates the terrain covering everything in like microbial death, then no, that's a huge problem. You would have uh, to basically put everything in the ocean. In the ocean, deep enough underground that it would like you would discover all the life exists in in these safe zones, no, nothing up on top. And that's not the case. They 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 clearly have life that does grow and that does it. So unless you made a point of saying that everything grows incredibly fast on Pern, like you know that things develop super fast because it it's evolved to know that if it doesn't. It won't last long enough because it's going to get burned out. But I don't recall anything that signals that whatsoever. Like everything, anything that's accelerated or any of that is all done through there, human sciences. I will say there's one thing that leads me to believe that Pern has adapted slightly to the threat. And it's that they mention that a lot of the animal life or, or the vegetable life, sorry, has high levels of boron in its tissues. Okay. Which makes me believe that maybe there's some seed capsules that are entirely covered in boron, which would protect okay. Fred. Got okay. it. That's a, oh, that's it's, a that is a stretch. <laughs> if, if as an author, you're writing that and being like, my audience will understand that. I'm like, you better be writing it to a very specific audience. Because... <laughs> and that, and that's the thing. The, the things that are explained in like, I didn't need that detail, are like... HNO3 shortens to a Geno3 when she hears it. That didn't need to be explained. People could have read that. Yeah. <laughs> I just feel like that the, the thread and the interaction with Pern is it's not addressed well. It just isn't. It doesn't make sense. And it really bothered me this time I read the book. I didn't care the first time I read the book, but this time I was like, this this makes no sense. There would be no plant life. There would be stuff in the ocean, sure, but that's it. Yeah, you have mermaids like, instead of dragons. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe you could explain that like one stage of the life cycle of the seaweed is aerial spores, which then drift over land and then reseed the barren wilderness. That, oh. that would be an interesting take. That <laughs> your 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 uh, land life would have a very aquatic feel to it. Off, yep. kind of off the top there. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> well, anyway. <laughs> But, was... but it didn't happen. It didn't. No, <laughs> I know. That's... actually read, it did not happen. No, it, it... The, the vegetation makes no sense. It was very distracting. I'm sorry. It was just something that really yeah. bothered me about the whole thing. And I would have loved if there was an exodus of the wild animal life into the oceans before Threadfall. Mm. I would yeah. have loved that. That would have been cool. If uh, the Pernese, like inhabitants had been tracking strange new migration patterns in as the red star grew closer i would have loved that would have been cool but no they they entirely did not no, notice it didn't make any sense <laughs> they just freak out when it starts happening yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. thank goodness for those cute little dragons with their fire breath what do you think about the political intrigues that are set up um, the weird missing fuel, the charter members versus the colonizers. There's a lot going on. I think that when someone has stolen an interplanetary homing missile and sent out a message to Earth, which is going to place your colony in huge debt and completely revoke your whole charter in like 50 to 100 years or 500 years when they finally get around to coming for you. <laughs> Maybe the appropriate punishment isn't shunning. That was 
the whole shunning sequence I thought was interesting. I I appreciate the alternative approach to that's one of the stronger elements of this book. I think is showcasing an alternative uh, way of governing and ruling and trying to remove some of the the violent tendencies of that can be in there. You know of of different styles of punishment and everything. So how do you deal with this? Well, they talk earlier on about how they're going to people who are guilty of of breaking these this kind of code that they have will be forced to labor in certain ways and and do things like that. I'm like this is this is a a little bit of a of a paradise idea or uh, oh yeah, it, it is yeah. for sure. It's way too to early in the morning. Trying to think of the word I'm thinking of. Uh, utopia. Utopia. Thank you. Thank Which you. is no place, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Literally means no place. <laughs> yeah. Yep. They're trying to set up this utopia, and obviously when they are forced, they get to the point and the rubber meets the road and they absolutely have to do a capital punishment, I think, because of pulling a stunt like that. How do you do that and maintain without going into the violence of past humanity and the things that they they complain about on past Earth of, you know, the technocrats and, and the, you know, ruling through greed and all these other things that are, are problematic. How do you avoid that coming in through your punishment system? And I was like, the shunning is interesting. But I do think you could have done more to the guy. I mean, it is Ted Tupperman we're talking yeah. about here. Yeah, like maybe a seizure of all of his uh, advanced bioengineering materials oh, yeah, that yeah. he'd stolen. Right. <laughs> no, but I don't like it. I, 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 I like it as a story element. I don't like it. I mean, he literally is. All, it just felt like. Well, we don't like him anyway, so we just now we don't have to talk to him anymore. That is indeed what it felt like. It also <laughs> felt like this punishment was come up with on the fly by Emily Bowl. Yeah, it yeah. Was... But yeah, the the idea of completely unlimited sovereignty on your stakehold, whatever you want to do on your stakehold, it's fine. And then I... I'm going to create mm. monster cats. Mm. And then well, I'm going to create monster cats, but I am also going to abuse my family. Well, right. Like and they don't know anything okay. about that. <laughs> that's where that sort of like limited autonomy, basically, that's feudalism, right? Yep. Yeah, it is. It's very <laughs> uh, weird, and it does not have a great record with women's rights. Like human rights in general are not respected under feudalism. That, yeah, I don't think there's any point in history where you can look back and say, yeah, the, you know what the. Time wasn't great for everybody, but the women really had it solid yeah, as serfs. <laughs> That's true. We got screwed so much. <laughs> Enjoy your fiefdom, women. Oh, wait a minute. You don't get one. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Yeah, no, you don't get one. I don't know. I, I kinda this is out. the man's land. <laughs> it does kind of work out for Elizabeth I. She was a pretty badass queen. That is true. Bucking the trend. Yeah. <laughs> but it is. Sure. If you're royalty, you can be an exception. <laughs> yes. That's the way it always is, though, for all royalty. I mean, it wasn't great for men under serfdom either, unless you had nope. a title. <laughs> nope. Welcome to Women's Rights in the Feudalism podcast here. <laughs> the funny what? thing is, that's what we were talking about on the podcast we did with the girls. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Continuing our trend, feminism through the ages. <laughs> feminism no, I... through the ages. Uh, hey, look, this story has gay people in it, or at least it has slight mentions of them. Yes. Yeah, that was weird too. That there was like, but at the same time, they're required to get married and have children. Like that's part of being in the colony. Yes, and you could lose your stake if you didn't. Right. Which you could lose I mean, your that... entire like autonomy in this world. 
Because if you don't have a stake, you're at the mercy of people who do. If you're colonizing a planet and you're choosing to come, it kind of makes sense to require people to reproduce because you're trying to colonize. That's it. If you want to... Do you, you do you really to... want maximum population growth in a colony that you're just like imbuing with technological and agricultural resources? Do you want I an mean, explosion or do you want measured increases? Um, I think that makes sense. That part does make sense to me. I mean, you're trying to colonize a planet. I'll tell you what biology has agreed on. <laughs> biology <laughs> has said no. Ten percent is going to be non-reproductive. Okay. I think this is an area that, if this book was written today, would be deserving of more exploration to maybe go through a storyline of an LGBT character or something like that and say, I don't want to have to be a part of the reproduction setup this way. I don't want to be required to do this. And you can explore that, what that means and why that setup is, why it's set up the way it is. Because to Little Red's point, like, it is understandable that we need to survive and we need to reproduce to help populate this. But to Kip's point, how many have to do that to in order for us to not outpace our own resources? What I would say is that these are the people who are signing on. So they know that they're signing on to this. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Not for the entire planet, for the all of history or whatever, but the yeah. people who are at. But like some of them are signing on to get diamonds. Some oh, of them are geez. signing on. <laughs> that girl, Which... what? That cool stuff thing makes no sense there are how yeah. many millions of miles away light years away from but i'm just gonna hop on the ship and go to this other planet because i stole fuel. so i can steal jewels and then steal the ship and go back and be filthy rich you can literally build an entire like claim huge tracts of land here like you have <laughs> no, whatever you she... want she wants she her have... warm showers. She wants hot showers and uh, video entertainment. <laughs> it's like, then... why did you even sign on? <laughs> like, what are you doing? Just for the money, apparently. Just to betray everyone and get the money. Yeah, that's... But... Uh, that is a lot, of, a lot of work to be able to have a hot shower when you can just stay there and do the terrible thing as a human being yeah. and sell your grandmother's heirloom that she, that she gave you. The giant would be like, you'd probably be okay selling that and then working for a living or something. I know that's a big question, a big task. That's a funny her, but... thing. Like she worked there for eight years before she decided to put her like escape attempt into motion. Yeah. <laughs> uh, today seems like a good day to go kill a couple people and leave. I've got enough jewels now. <laughs> it's, it's, it's such a weird plot line. I know what starts it off though is because she thought she was going to marry the general and be basically queen. The queen. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And she, didn't because he found out she was a terrible person <laughs> I, I think he always knew but the sex was good so she didn't care <laughs> her perspective on that's quite funny like one day he stopped paying attention to me i don't understand why and we're like well we know you as a person and that's why like it's, it's not that, really not that big of a stretch maybe a little self-awareness and you'd figure it out and we get in his head and he was like yeah the sex was good but i probably shouldn't have done it anyway <laughs> yeah <laughs> I shouldn't have yeah. let her on. <laughs> She's fine to have as a character. We don't need to ever be in her head. Not once. <laughs> she is. We yeah. don't need to be in her head. If anything, like the slightly less reprehensible people would have been better to get inside the heads of and then view their interactions with her. So like yeah. Steve Hemmer, right? We right. could have been inside his head. He was better than Avril. The other option is that we, you need to, if you're going to tell it, you have to expand her story to be 
um, heavier piece in the main storyline versus this side plot. Like, we don't need the point of view of a side plot character. But if you make her a main piece, like, I don't think this is a good call. But it's the only other way I can see that you keep her as a point of view and make it fit in there is by making her a larger narrative piece of the whole thing, which then probably pushes, like, Sala and that one a little more to the background to maintain some sort of balance. Uh, yeah. I did like Sala, by the way, as a character. I was sad when she was gone. For a story about the origin of the Dragon Riders, we get so little Sorka until the end. Uh-huh. So little Sorka and Sean. Right at the beginning as kids, just a touch during the thread, and then everything else at the end. Yeah. Like, and when we meet them in the thread, we only get like this retrospective on their relationship. Mm-hmm. That we we get no like no pining, no buildup of the relationship. It's just it's it's happened, it's established, and we're done. <laughs> yeah. Two relationship sequences in here that made me laugh, eye roll, whatever. And one of them is when uh, Sorkin and Sean, when he admits his love for her when she finds out she's pregnant. And he's like, why didn't you tell me about it? Am I the last one to know? No, you're the only other one to know except for like the doctor. Like, calm down, dude. And then <sighs> and he's like, I want you to bear only my children. And everyone's like, yeah, okay, dude. Like, that is the other thing about McCaffrey novels, controlling men. This was like, there's been no real build up to this other than her yeah, saying... But- I knew that they were going to be together when they found the dragons together. Yes. I knew. Of it. course. Like, it of was course. So obvious. It's telegraphed. <laughs> it's like. It would just be nice to be part. Of, it would be nice if there was more romance on the way up to this point. Because the other one is Sala and. Uh, Tarvi. Tarvi. Tarvi yeah. And his response when she's uh, like, come back, come back. Like, no, you can't. No, I just realized you're more than a vessel for my seed. That <laughs> oh line. Oh, my God. Lit- oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, wow, the bar is this low right here, and that, and you just barely eked over that. Ah, yes, I love you. You're more than a vessel for my seed. You are, you are worthy of love. I'm like, are you serious, right here? And she basically is miserable their whole relationship. Their whole relationship. She pines after him and pines after him and pines after him. And I I think he's asexual. I thought. I actually thought he was gay at first in the first in the first part of the book. When I, was I did. I, th- I think he's asexual. Yeah, that makes but sense. whatever. She is there taking care of your kids and being a vessel for your seed. You could at least say I love you every once in a while. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> it's not hard. She makes a mention of how if she leaves the initiative up to him, nothing happened for a year, and then yeah. she got so desperate she started her dawn attack. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I will be referring to referring to morning sex as that from here on out for the rest of my life. <laughs> Incoming morning attack! Ah! <laughs> oh, jeez. Very romantic. I'm sure it will be well received. I, uh, yeah. I mean, um, I'm more romantic than this. Yes. Yes. More. There. Not, the romances aren't romantic at all. Like, there's nothing romantic about any of them. It's nothing. so weird. Nothing. And. I think that would be an interesting aspect of of this colonization that probably is occurring with other people there, uh, but very much at the at the beginning of their colonization that feels a lot like there's not a romance to the pairing off for reproduction. There isn't really. It's it's you kind of yeah. choose somebody. Like they could have literally just thrown keys in a bowl and just said, "All right, everybody, let's go and go from there." Feels like that's what some of them did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
and, and they say like, yeah, some of these marriages are just going to last a couple years. They're contract marriages. They have a defined yeah. like end date in them. Right. <laughs> Which is <laughs> so weird. It goes along with the rest of the political structure. Yeah. But there are True. couples that come. Like couples that sign in together. Like the vet and his wife. Dorcas sure. Yeah. There are already sure. a couple. Red Hammerhan. Yeah, and their relationship seems fine, and they have a lovely daughter, and they have, and like, a, a lovely... Eh, we don't get the son. <laughs> <laughs> well, they do have one, I'm just saying. <laughs> they, they have one, we never see it. It exists. <laughs> he exists in the in the background somewhere. Yeah. Well, he shows yeah. up at the end when they're doing the transportation thing with the dragons, like... I don't mean we literally never see him, but we... Don't see him, really, no. What can you say <laughs> about him? He's an, an engineer, I think. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Great. He got a job by part three. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so there are normal relationships, but there's no good romance, if that makes sense. Like, there's yeah. there's no good coming together. There was there was supposed to be Tarvi and Sala, but that was just so weird. Uh, Even from the get go. From like, the get go, oh. a she drugged him <laughs> with with an aphrodisiac that it that the pharmacist swore would work. And I, I want to know if that pharmacist was practicing placebo medicine, but I don't know. I kind of felt that way, that the drug was, uh, I mean, a placebo. It wasn't real. Like, oh, sure, here, have the thing. The willingness with which they just started ingesting native Pernese material <laughs> was surprising to me. <laughs> Yeah, especially considering the the amount of information that we have from the prior survey did not really lend to them having a whole lot there to go ahead and eat and figure no. out. No, the fish seem to be good, but everything else I'm very dubious of. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, humans just randomly, like, we found out things were poisonous by eating them, so I guess that was We also strategy. evolved on the same planet. <laughs> I know. <I'm> just, <laughs> they could chemically analyze things, I guess, right? There's so many things in life in like that we eat or whatever that legitimately it would be interesting to go back and find out who lost the bet to go figure out that we could do this. Yep. Like, yep. oh yep. yeah, you know, see that cow over there, Larry, go try with that. <laughs> go try what's coming out of that. That looks interesting. <laughs> no, no, no. Let let it stay in the bucket for months. <laughs> <laughs> Yogurt. Oh, I forgot about this. Anyone got a spoon? Yeah. There's always we need. That's that's why we need. We do need the, the the certain part of the population to be willing to do the stupid things so that we can figure out what we are allowed to do. Now we have science to help us with with that process. But earlier on, no, you needed the Larrys to go out and and lick the lick the side of that one thing and find out. Ah, oh, that that caused some really weird feelings in me. Oh, jeez. We yeah. are not advocating you looking things, people. Dude. <laughs> Don't do that. Well, Let Larry maybe do you're it. not. <laughs> uh, always forage responsibly. <laughs> I know a forager influencer, and her sign-off is always, happy snacking, don't die. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I um, am not built for that kind of life. I am built to go to the grocery store. I plan on, uh, in the apocalypse, just building a pirate raid that just goes and finds the hidden food storage in all the houses nearby. Like, that's that's the plan. <laughs> Mad Max, you all the You have food pantries. storage? Isn't that, like, a thing? 
It is. It is a it's a big thing here in Utah. A lot of people are uh, were taught and trained to have a year's worth of food. It's like you have a seventy two hour kit, and then you have a year's worth of supplies. The thing is, and I mean this in all honesty, most people won't know what to do with their kit because it's like we have two hundred pounds of flour in our basement, and they don't know what to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll oh. add water to it, and then it makes pancakes. Right? That's how that works. Right. <laughs> I think I've only got like 75 pounds of flour, but I feel that. (laughs) But you know what to do with it, Kit. (laughs) I do know what to do with it. You make focaccia. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you guys think about, so I want to talk about Kitty Ping and her daughter, Wind Blossom. Like, how do you feel about that whole situation? Because it's a situation. Kitty dies. I I wanted more from Kitty. I did too, actually. She was a character I wanted to spend time with. Yep. Unlike Avril, we could have gotten rid of her and had more Kitty. I would have so much preferred Kitty to Menden. <laughs> yes. I think with Kitty, especially with Kitty, is that I, I don't know. I never really got connected to it. I never connected to those characters in any way. It was like, oh, they're going to be the ones who make the dragons work. Like That's really my whole connection to them. I More might have made me give a stronger connection to it, but that was pretty much, I was like, these are the ones who are going to make the dragons work. And that is pretty much Kitty's entire contribution to the book. Mm-hmm. Yep. She makes been... the dragon embryos and then promptly dies. I have served my purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Was... Yeah. But then you have Wind Blossom and she won't use her grandma's notes. She goes off on like a different Yeah. Thing. Like, that was so strange to me. I'm like, but your grandma just did it. You just do what she did. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. Well, that's that's kind of the thing. Like, Wind Blossom saw that the dragons, they worked. They hatched. They mm-hmm. were done. No no further adjustments required. Her grandmother made a masterpiece that she wasn't really able to dabble in. So she did her own thing. <laughs> but make more dragons instead of your weird tunnel things that you make. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, I don't want to spoil too much, but I actually like... The, the later crazy photophobic things that she made. I actually like them. And the and later they, books went on to expand they, them. Yeah, no, I know they they come back. I just... Well, well, they also existed before this. So, like, this is their origin story, too. Right. No, I know. Yeah. I'm just saying... They do get given, like, primary focus, though, in some of the later books. Like, it's the whole point of the book. Okay. Well, hmm. I'm just saying, make some more dragons while you're at it. <laughs> I don't think she could. But Even she with has having a grandmother... Go ahead. No, that's a, I, we were making the exact same point, but she gave her the recipes, it's just that she's not capable of making the recipe. <laughs> like... <laughs> she doesn't or know what to do just... with the flour in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> is she I guess that's that's kind of the question is is it just that this is done so we can hand this off to someone else to be in charge of to do this so that I can then continue and work on my own legacy, which is going to be the photophobic. Well, Tunnel pre- Dragons. <laughs> Tunnel Dragons, yeah. I think that she thought you could, you can hand this off to natural selection at this point. Okay. You can hand this off to actual living dragons producing and... Oh, no, because we don't know if they can re- reproduce yet. We don't know. We don't know, but so, she had so faith. That means you she need to make faith. more dragons. She had faith. <laughs> She put on some no. good music and saw they got yeah they got the twinkle in their eye it'll be fine. <laughs> no, I totally disagree. She should have been making. She could do her own thing as well. I mean, if she just copied, 
and we don't know if they can reproduce, it's also not going to be a long-term solution. Yeah, but they could. She was taking the long view with the only as the you know, only I... geneticist left to the colony that could do a project, and she thought her project had merit. Okay, I, well, I think the I think a even on that side of things, a second batch might have been a good idea. Yes, exactly, a second batch or maybe a third. Just we don't know. And, and we don't know how many materials out. they had. And like, if they would they have had, had time, for her to make her weird dragon things that she made that were not dragons. <laughs> they I think you just them. don't like her creations. I think you think they're not worth anything. <laughs> no, that's not what I. Think. You keep putting I... them down. <laughs> sure, I hate them. You're right, Ken. That's right. Just, Fly that I flag. I just don't like Wind Blossom. <laughs> I think she has like a insecurity complex of some sort, and that's problematic. For me. She was never trained by the Eridani like her grandmother was. Whatever. I think she's a nut. She's a loon. And she created crazy tunnel dragons. <laughs> and I think that's what the colony thinks about her. That's for sure. <laughs> it's true. That's, And I agree. <laughs> I disagree. Okay. I think she had a good plan. And okay. I think that she did the most she could with her limited resources and time. Okay. Because the whole place did end up getting evacuated because of a volcano. (laughs) That came out of nowhere. (laughs) No, it came out of the initial survey. The seismic activity came out of nowhere. So that is a question. Why did they build the landing where they built landing? Like right next to it? Apparently because they couldn't flatten Earth. (laughs) (laughs) That's... (laughs) <laughs> the I think the, they mention in the early chapters, they talk about that landing was just basically the best place that they could set everything down and have space to work. Because everything, was, nothing else was there. It was like, all right. It was the could... only place they could have all six shuttles down at the same time, apparently, while also having non-frigid temperatures. Because mm-hmm. apparently there's only three spots on the whole continent they could have landed. Yeah. Parking I, on Pern has been an issue from the start, is all we're going to say. <laughs> it no sense. Like that. There's a, there's a lot of time spent on, like, oh, we got to, like, park these sleds haphazardly so the gig can't take off without someone noticing. Yeah. <laughs> and they just keep talking about it, keep talking about it, keep talking about it. And then... No, she just captures the gig when it was about to take a regularly scheduled launch. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep, it's so weird. <laughs> yep. Which is the smart way to do it anyway. I mean, that's literally the Jack Sparrow <laughs> style of stealing a ship. Just wait till it's about to go and take it over. <laughs> yep, no guards, because this is a utopia that doesn't lock doors. Uh. Yeah. yeah, but we've already shown that it's not a utopia and that people should really be locking their doors, like way before this happens. They've been there for eight <laughs> years. They haven't figured out that people aren't. Nope, and when th- and when thread, when thread <laughs> happens, if you don't show up, there's no real consequences other than you don't have a uh, your vote in their like pseudo democracy. Yeah, <laughs> and it's not a democracy. They pretend, but it's really not. <laughs> they, they take a couple important votes every now and then, and then who, Admiral, who, what's his face? whose terms <laughs> are just kind of set by somebody. Yeah, uh, are set by the most respected. Uh, scholar of jurisprudence and it can be changed so quick literally the you know when thread falls like by the way i think we should reinstate this prior government setup we got everyone hands up who's good with this who's good with this idea and we'll give it to these two right yeah these two 
they did a good job before we'll just let's just do that let's reset and go back to that we're good everyone good hands up all right we're good good shut up ted shut up (laughs) we don't have to talk to ted anymore okay we already decided that (laughs) somebody somebody shut ted up and like yeah his neighbors have to like drag him back to his seat well i kept waiting in that whole sequence where he keeps yelling out and and you know about sending for help and everything i'm like at a certain point if in a different type of setup there is someone like a bailiff or someone or someone who's a security in the area who would walk him and be like take him out he's disrupting everything here no no his voice has to be heard and everything his like, yeah. corporal punishment is forbidden and that includes imprisonment yeah apparently <laughs> we believe in passive aggressive death penalty so <laughs> it's like that whole thing i'm like how have you been dealing with just normal issues that come up when in a group of people nope. like the uh the penalty is you lock someone out of stores i i guess <laughs> and then they break in they've been here for eight Actually, years they break in before they're locked out never mind yeah. <laughs> they're not locked out because nobody has locks <laughs> yeah yeah okay so that went off the rails a little bit <laughs> <laughs> so did pern's judicial system <laughs> <laughs> they don't have one. That's the issue. <laughs> they just make things up as they go along. <laughs> what was it? What was it that they said the law was there for? It was just to inf- argue about stake. Uh, so basically, property rights, and to argue about contract enforcement. Those are the only two things the judicial system on Pern is there to do. So there's going to be no murder or rape or anything. That's just all going to go away because yeah. Yeah, humans don't do that all the time, and like it's. Have they looked at history? <laughs> like, <laughs> if you give everyone their own land, they don't have problems anymore. Yeah. Okay. They're just off on their own. They can, and they have their own autonomy out there to do what they choose, what they want. So this yeah. is like some kind of weird libertarian fantasy, <laughs> but also it's kind of communist because they have the stores. It's yep. just very. Yep. If socialism and libertarianism had a baby, this is what it would look like. Exactly. It's libertarianism is what it is. Yeah. But they have the communist element, too, with the stores. Like, (laughs) that's what I'm saying. I think Ryan's onto something. Uh, And a little little bit of, like, aristocracy. Pern's government happens. I love it. Yeah. They had communist element with the stores, but they also had, like, a bit of a built-in class system by the charterers versus the contractors. Yeah, they did. Professionals. Yeah. And trying to deal with everything, uh, yes, with the stores, uh, having no economy in the sense of uh, other than bartering, like they said, oh, yeah, we use bartering. That's already a thing. But like <laughs> no economic system whatsoever. Ooh, that's that's going to bite you in the butt eventually. While also having mining outposts that are essential for the survival of the colony. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. And, and beaches of diamonds. Yeah. <laughs> It reminds me of uh, Meet the Robertsons and the dinosaurs. Like, I have a big head and really little arms, but I don't think this was very well thought out. Master. (laughs) It just, I feel like if you're going to build a colony, you need to think these things out a bit more. Right? (laughs) Just saying you. I strongly think that they they talk a lot about how hard it was to get their charter approved back on Earth. And I'm like, yeah, no, duh. Was it hard enough? (laughs) Some guy in some, uh, like, the closest thing to a central planner that they've got in there looked at this and went, 
oh, you're all dead. <laughs> you're, you're all dead. And I, I guess you want to take this planet way out there? Sure. Fine. Do what you want. You're paying for it? Fine. Have fun. Yeah. We're not going to hear. We don't have to hear about this, right? No. Unfortunately, because of Ted, that they, they do have to eventually hear about it because he sent out the homing thing. I mean, no one says they have to listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what's that sound for help? Oh, no. Oh, oh no. Oh. Oh, it's, it's, it's a we told you so? Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll wait a bit longer until, you know, that's actually in an economically viable part of the galaxy of the human expansion oh. front. <laughs> so I, I'm feeling really bad because I actually really did enjoy this book, but we are just dragging it so hard right now. It's a lot the, of fun. The themes deserve to be dragged. The themes deserve to be dragged. But the dragons are cool. The yes. dragons are cool. And when I was reading this as a kid, it was a wonderful little like explanation of how everything on Pern started. Right. Right. And how this colony went so wrong. This kind of goes back to uh, a point you made earlier about when you were talking about reviewing and, and how you read things. This book does not read as well to someone with who is critically breaking down themes and concepts and ideas of this way. But if you are just going through the storyline, it's very enjoyable to watch the development, to watch these characters kind of fostering. Will it all make sense? No, no. You'll, you'll probably in the back of your head go, that doesn't entirely make sense. But you're not going to at any point in time go, this is, that was just so stupid. There's nothing there. It's it's not bad by in, in, in that sense at all. You're, you're right. It, I wouldn't have a problem handing this to someone to read who I knew would fit the Pern genre. Like, who who really wants to read about dragon riders? Like, yeah, it'll take you a while to get there, but you'll yep. you'll you'll like this. Yeah, I mean, it's fun. It's a really, it is fun. And they have the, I like the empathic bonds that, that we talked about that they have yes. with their dragons and all that kind of stuff. And Well, <laughs> and I love the fact that this empathic bond is set up most of the time, at least now I should say, I don't, I, maybe not throughout all history something like this we get the how to train your dragon right storyline where it is they're dangerous they're a terrible thing we got and it's the one person who bucks the system finds out oh no there are these kind-hearted things and then we form a bond and now we're all gonna ride dragons and it's great this i appreciated that at the beginning this was like no from the immediate imprint these these little dragonettes have there's there's no real danger to us from uh, there's no danger like they're aware of it a little bit they're like we don't know if we make them big maybe they'll eat us like that's about as yep. much thought as they gave that concept but they'll eat know, the but, sheep yeah exactly they do eat the sheep that would be really annoying as a <laughs> shepherd <laughs> you just have to change your scale your economy scale figuring out there again we're falling back into these challenges of trying exactly. to exactly like like how there's really like literally no way they could keep these things fed without that i can see like, they're so big. Have unless to they, do, unless uh, they can go fishing. Oh, that's true. I guess. Then start they pulling all the those things out. They start eating the dolphins. Oh, no. no. <laughs> that's why there's no dolphins later. <laughs> they eat all the dolphins. <laughs> no, I, what I, if, if I've learned anything from this episode and from this book is that if there's any future plans to try and build a utopia outside of earth this setup we need to be on the committee to at least point out how stupid some of these things that they're trying they might think about are doing they're like please please bring us in we'll we'll let you know that that's just not feasible we'll listen you know we'll do that yeah and if you're going to set up a landing site or volcanoes set up some more seismic sensors or you know maybe leave everyone in cold sleep for a while while you look at the planet and like make sure which is actually the best point to land 
If you have indefinite cryo suspension, use it. Be smart. <laughs> Poor boy. Oh, man. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Anne. I really did have fun when I read it. <laughs> I also had fun. And and I totally get that that's not how people would actually use cryo suspension. They'd be like, no, plan it now. Yeah. <laughs> I want out and I'm not going back in. <laughs> These people seem like a very uh, special bunch. And they will not have truck with cautious studies and surveys. No, they're just going to go down on the surface and start working. They couldn't even get a judicial system working. You think them they take account seismic stuff? I mean, like, basic human governance. They mention it, like, <laughs> once. They mention, like, seismic studies once, and then they're like, oh, no, a volcano happened. <laughs> <laughs> it just happens to happen during Threadfall. I mean... <laughs> Everything it's, compounding. It's. I mean, so Threadfall happens uh, every three days. That's a pretty good. Like that's a pretty good probability. One in three. No, I mean, what I mean is the volcano blows up at the same time that the planet with the weird thread stuff. Oh yeah. Shows up, but that also they, lasts like 40, 50 years, right? I mean, I guess, but it happens to be the same forty or fifty years. Volcanoes don't oh. blow up for. Oh yeah. Thousands Bad luck. of years. This is doomed. <laughs> <laughs> They're all dead. <laughs> I mean, eventually they are, and then we get the other, the, like, fantasy dragon land where they don't remember how to make clear glass. <laughs> <laughs> the the colony had to fail spectacularly to make the rest of the series make sense. Yes, it does. It really does, because it's basically fantasy dragon land. It's not science yep. fiction at all. So, and Jeff had a so, question about that. Does that mean... It- I think this is interesting because knowing that it is fantasy dragon land, it is this, that sort of setup, but we know that they come from this origin. Is this the right choice to, for Anne to make the, to say that this is the origin of the world to say, to come from the science background, or is it just kind of a, is it, is it cool? Is it a good twist? Or is it, would it have been better to say, no, let's just talk about Pern's like Pern has always been this way. Is this a a good way to adjust that? I like it. Mm. I really like it. I think that as a premise, it's fantastic. I, mm-hmm. I, I Science fantasy is where I love to live. And uh, genetically engineered dragons that have basically lost touch with their science fiction roots and have become their whole own culture with the system of holds and weirs and very weird impressioning rituals and very weird sex flight rituals. I mean, that's why I want to drag <laughs> Having that all come back into, yeah, you're, or there's, there's a rogue planetoid that's dropping a microhesal spore onto this planet every so often uh, when it's not passing through the Oort cloud. I like that. I like that combination. Mm-hmm. Because often fantasy is so small. It's focused on one continent. You rarely get a fantasy that's aware that it's a planet. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with that. There are the few instances I can think of where they try and expand larger outside of that. It's It's been done and is one of those things where occasionally, I think uh, things like Wheel of Time, Sean Chan, this other group out there is coming back and it's like, oh, okay, that they're, they're, you don't actually explore the whole world. It's just they come into your perf- uh, uh, point of view. They come into your... Uh, yep. Wow. Can, perspective. Thank you. Simple words. Simple words do not come to me Don't until at least 11 o'clock. <laughs> if you've ever listened to any episode I'm on, like, I have many issues <laughs> with words. But, like, 
you don't usually see fantasies that actually take a planetary scale. You don't mm-hmm. see that blending of science fiction and fantasy, which makes the universe feel big. Yeah. Definitely not. In not, not in fantasy. Sure. No. And definitely think... usually not in something with dragons. Uh, <laughs> and Brandon Sanderson is an exception. Yeah, I was just going to say he's the only exception I can really think of that makes you feel like it's a whole planet. And that's not even all his books. That's only some of his books. Yeah. 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 Because, you know, Atlantis doesn't feel. Anyway, we're off topic again. <laughs> um, I'm sorry that you brought me on. That was naturally going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's normal. It's normal. Okay. So Jeff asks, Dragon's Dawn marks the turning point of how overtly sci-fi the Pern series is. Do you prefer the more pseudo-fantasy books that precede it or the harder sci-fi that follows? Are there harder sci-fi books that follow this? There is actually a harder sci-fi book that follows it, and it is my favorite in the series. Okay. Which book is it? Uh, All the Wares of Pern. Okay. Okay. Should I read it? Spoilers, they rediscover landing. Under a lava flow? Under a lava flow, yep. Of course they do. Because mo- <laughs> most of the Pern books take place only on the northern continent. They've, like, abandoned the southern continent. They don't remember that they were ever there. And they say, like, no, that place is forbidden. <laughs> and course. Why? But eventually they, they start, they, like, reach a level of technology. Uh, I think the major reason that it's forbidden is because of dangerous cats. <laughs> and, uh, back. I was wondering if they came back. Yep, dangerous cats and unknown illnesses. Mm-hmm. Unknown illnesses. Yeah, uh, the southern continent has a different uh, environment, which has evolved viruses and bacteria separately from the northern continent, and people okay. aren't aren't ready for it, enologically speaking. Okay, so it really is sci-fi. Yeah. I like my dragon fantasy, I think. But I did yeah. like this book. And so anything else before we wrap up? Any wh- Anything? I would just say that, like, we've mentioned it a couple times already. This is, while we have dragged some concepts in here, I do think that some of those things that we're pointing out are intentional by McCaffrey to showcase, like, this isn't perfect. Like, what you're saying, like... If we were to, oh yeah, if she were listening, she'd be like, "Yeah, no, you're exactly right. There's a reason this failed." Because <laughs> I set it up that way, like this, this setup here. It's part of the book. It's not a. That's not necessarily a criticism of the book. It's a criticism of human nature being stupid in the scenario yep. scenario that I've set up, and that's 100% accurate to do that. Yeah, I would say that if you are someone who tends to read a book and break down themes and concepts, realize that there's a lot in this book that is going to frustrate you because of the way people react to it and whether or not it makes sense. But it, it works inside the premise. It's not a flawed premise. It's just that p- the people are definitely flawed in their attempts and their approach. You do have to wonder like, how many of these people have extreme PTSD. And it's, and it's just overriding their common sense, overriding their rationality. Because Emily Bull was apparently a governor during wartime for five years under siege and like maybe that's why she doesn't want to have to ever do extreme punishments again Mm -hmm. maybe that's why she doesn't want to be condemning anyone because she's already done so much a lot of the like in the earlier colony section in the beginning it says a lot of people on this expedition came here to forget things they had seen and things they had done 
And so you do have to kind of wonder how many of these people are just reacting badly to their past trauma or overreacting. Yeah. And then you add a couple natural disasters in, including one of which uh, the threat is extremely scary. Yes. <laughs> it's a terrifying thing, for sure. Terrifying. It will denude a planet. <laughs> which is why the planet doesn't... <laughs> We're going to start a new circle if you go back on this. It's going to be just a big <laughs> like, cycle. But, but like, the com- combination of human errors and natural disasters caused the extinction of memory. I was going to say, that's why you end up with Fantasy Dragonland. From yep. the super high-tech to Fantasy Dragonland. It takes, takes a lot for that to happen. It does. And uh, we see it all unfold. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Beautiful, glorious. Though, though there are some other books. For example, there's a book that focuses on the dolphins of landing as well. Oh. So the dragons don't eat the dolphins. I mean, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> I'm not going to spoil anything. But there is a book that focuses on the dolphins. I seriously totally forgot there were dolphins in this book. It's set, it's set contemporaneously with this one. It's at the same time. Okay. okay. That's cool. Uh, but it, it tells the story of what's his name? I'm going to call him Kevin. Uh, <laughs> Acceptable. Kevin the dolphin. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, no, not the dolphin, the dolphin trainer. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say one of the dolphins is literally called Bessie. So, I mean, why not? He's a minor character in this book, but okay. he's a, he's the main character in the other book. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So well, go enjoy SeaWorld of Pern. <laughs> <laughs> following Kevin, the dolphin trainer. <laughs> yep. And like then there's a whole nother book which talks about the uh the supplies that got dropped off the side of the boat when they were going north. <laughs> there's a book like, about it? There's, like a there's a book. book. There's there's basically a whole book about it. Yep. Yep. Oh my god. <laughs> there's a plague involved and the only solution are those supplies. So they have to find them. They have to find them. Yeah. Okay. I don't know about that. I don't know if that's what I yeah. read. <laughs> it's not it's rushing to the top of the TBR. It's it's not. It's not. Uh, there's already a Pern Plague book, and that one's so much better. <laughs> I, You know, I'm reading Hogfather after I get off the phone with you guys. I think I'll be good. <laughs> yeah. oh, skipping yeah. the su- supply treasure hunt Pern. Perhaps that would be a good, a good step. <laughs> And I'll be going to Sanderson's YA Universe Skyward. Oh, actually, I forgot that that came out, didn't it? Oh. Yep, Cytonic just came out. I was at I the event out. last night for the oh. release. I think my book just got delivered to my door literally like five minutes ago. So I'll go <laughs> open that up. So we should let you go so you can read it. Yes. That's... Okay. okay. <laughs> so thanks so much for joining us for our discussion of Dragon's Dawn by Anne McCaffrey. You can find us on the Legendarium Discord. The invite link is at legendarium.com. We are also on Twitter at Green Team Pod. Join us in supporting the Legendarium via Patreon. Thanks, Craig, for loaning us a little corner of your media empire and for Horizon Brave for starting this all. Thank you, Kip and Ryan. And I'm Little Red Book. Talk to you next time. Goodbye. Bye. See ya.